0: Coming up on this episode of the Happy Pair Podcast. Most people I work with in mindfulness and meditation really struggle with their breath, or with slowing their thoughts down, and they go, I've tried it, I can't do it. So I always say, what's your favourite album? Or your favourite song? If you close your eyes and you can hear the creaks on the piano, you can hear feet moving on the floor, and all of a sudden you're becoming immensely mindful to that song, and you're actually in the space, and that's meditation. You're anchoring your attention in something.
1: Welcome back to the Happy Pair Podcast. We're delighted to have you. We genuinely are. Uh, thanks for all your amazing feedback on the previous episodes. We're delighted you're really enjoying them, and uh, thanks for subscribing. Massive shout out to Super Value, who are our partners in this podcast. They're wonderful. We have loads of products with them, and they're just a wonderful supermarket. Today's episode we enjoyed immensely. It was a wonderful conversation that just flowed so easily with a friend of ours, Niall Breslin, also known as Brezzy. Uh, For those who aren't from Ireland, Brezzy was once a professional rugby player playing for Ireland. He was someone that came out with having mental health issues, which coming from a very macho environment such as rugby was so brave. He's someone that has become a great advocate for the importance of vulnerability. He moved his next reincarnation into music and he became serious seriously deep into music as a professional musician with and, the Blizzards yeah and now he's transitioned into mindfulness and he's done a masters in that and he's a real advocate for mindfulness and mental health for all generations and i love the expression mindfulness is simply anchoring your attention yeah, it was a really great conversation, I certainly got loads of takeaways, and I remember I, I certainly want to read up a lot more around non-judgment, that was one that I really got out of this, there's more show notes on our website, buckle in, I think you'll really enjoy this one. So, welcome Brezzy, here we are, Thank it's a real honour. Thank you much. So great well to have happened. you in the flesh as well, there's something, you know, I think Zoom is really effective and great, but there's something different about...
0: Yeah, and I just moved, uh, well hey! I'm just about to move up beside you, so... Uh, you're going to hopefully see, well, for, for maybe not for you, but hopefully see a lot more of me. And I look forward so I to it. In, into Greystone. Well, I've just bought a house in Greystone, so I'm, I'm going to be one of your neighbours. It's, it's great.
1: great. Down the road from mum and dad. We grew up like literally on that road. So oh, no, I, yeah, I know. It very that well.
0: whole area. I, I, like for me, Greystones, the big thing for me buying my first home was I needed to be somewhere where there was a community that felt settled. And I love Dublin. I grew, you know, I've been there many years, but I, I've never tapped or found a community within Dublin. I'm from Willingar. I you know I love Mullingar but I, I I need to be in my own space so Greystones was a really great mm. opportunity for me oh you'll really love really it delighted. you'll love it yeah. you'll
1: be a great part of the community you'll love it big yeah, time great for uh, okay okay first thing for people that don't don't know you can you tell us because your story is extremely interesting and it's you know like for anyone who if you're listening to this Brasley's 6 foot 6 he's a big strapping hunk of a man an ex-international rugby player that somehow found his way into mindfulness and the power of the mind and it's not a natural kind of you know path so could you and He's a musician he's like front stage with guitars and he's he's a great anyway, could you give us a quick summary of that journey cuz it's
0: yeah well my my mom said my CV should read i threw as much crap at a wall and to see what sticks which is a pretty accurate description of my career to the point but i've never been restricted by labels or what you should be or shouldn't be that's the one thing i'm lucky i haven't my parents who were like be a musician, be a rugby player, be whatever you want, you know, and there was no kind of set rule to what, and when I was going to college, everyone was being told to do commerce because they wanted to work in a bank. That didn't work out for most of us because we went straight into the Celtic Tiger. Uh, Crash, whatever you want to call it. But for me, I, I started out as a Gaelic player. I was a Gaelic footballer in Westmead and I loved Gaelic football. It was so simple and played Gaelic in school, but then started growing into my body and playing rugby, before I knew it, I was a professional rugby player with Leinster. And what was really, I worked so hard to get there, but I knew something was, wasn't right throughout my old teenage years. I, I now know I, I live with quite severe kind of panic disorder and general anxiety disorder, which isn't a bad day, which isn't stress, which isn't anxiety. And we need to, we need to be careful around the language around mental health because anxiety is normal. Stress is normal. It's important. But uh, when it becomes completely dysfunctional, And it really impedes on your your quality of life and your relationships you know there's a problem and that's what it was doing with me that was the 90s nobody was talking about it i thought i would asthma for six years because i couldn't breathe every night and i was told by the doctor then that it was puberty which wasn't ideal to hear when you know you were in absolute hell and then i kind of brought this into rugby but the reason i was succeeding at sport is because i didn't want people to figure out something was wrong with me
1: and you nearly use that as that aggression, that sense of yeah, release. Just to rel- yeah,
0: yeah, and it was a release, but also it was a social thing that people would go. Oh, he's doing mallet rugby, so it was, you know everything must be great. I was in a pretty bad, bad place, and I went to the World Cup, under 21's World Cup at Ireland. And when I came back, I remember on the flight back from Sydney, my hair was falling out. It was that it was it becomes so chronic. You know yourself, so my body was turning on me now because I such I was fighting with my mind so much the things like it started becoming manifesting itself very much within my body, my skin, I had boils all over my skin, my hair was falling out. And this was the start of a journey with clinical depression, which was really difficult. And that was through my professional rugby career. Uh trying to train and play and, and play matches at that level and every second day I was making excuses for why I couldn't train. I think I had about 3,000 wisdom teeth. That was my go-to excuse at the time. <laughs> I kept saying, like, oh, i get my wisdom teeth out. And they're like, did you not get them out last week? I was like, to keep growing back. Like, the, <laughs> the stuff that came out of my mouth to make excuses for it. And then it finally just, I, I couldn't do it anymore. And I retired and... The reason I gave my retiring was I hated rugby, but I loved rugby. I just wasn't well.
1: It must have been so hard because, like, we grew up playing rugby and we played semi-pro rugby, and it's such a macho environment, and it's an environment where you don't any kind of kink in your arm or will be exposed. The lads will slag you. So, for you to amazing like that, you're, it came to the point that you were ignoring it so much, you're trying to disregard it that your hair actually had to start falling. It where it's like I have to address this, but. Like, how did you come about having the courage to suddenly start acknowledging it and becoming an advocate for it, especially in the 90s in Ireland when masculinity is tough, strong, you don't show weakness. it still is, to a point, you know, there's
0: there's huge conversations that have to be had around masculinity and what it should be and what it shouldn't be. And part of it was leading me on my own journey to figure out that vulnerability is leadership. Because if you admit that you're vulnerable, you're admitting that you're, you're human and people people want to know that because there's cracks in everybody, you know, and that's, we are imperfect beings living in an imperfect world that punishes imperfection. We're not designed perfectly and we shouldn't try to be and I think what I learned was I went into music from rugby because it was an easier place to hide and the industry was so easy to hide because you could drink, you know, you could, you could almost live up that kind of moody musician, the stereotype that it was and the same thing happened. That got sabotaged because of my mental health. Until one day, actually it was during The Voice, when I was uh, coaching The Voice of Ireland here, and it was before a live show, I had a really bad panic attack and it kind of I knew that was my kind of rock bottom and I needed to find a way because I was terrified the public would see this and I was terrified what they would do to me and I, I kind of needed to take the power away from them a little bit by telling them. And that's, that's where the conversation came from and I, I, I told my friends and colleagues first, that it was like fifteen years of <clears throat> pretty chronic fight with my mind, and then the public wasn't a problem for me because I, I kind of felt my biggest fear, if I'm being honest, guys, was that I, t- I told my friends they would feel that I lied to them for fifteen years, and I was terrified that they would hate me for lying to them. I, I knew they'd believe it, but I that 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 I lied and played this actor for for fifteen years, and I was terrified of that. And, they didn't they they really they did what good friends do they they held me in that and they were like right so where are we going to go from here and then that led me on and it's, the public. Did,
1: did some of them kind of almost know it or sense ah, it or they, it okay so yeah they, they
0: did like and it was like you know one of my mates was like he was like yep yeah, that makes sense i was like was i that bad it was like yeah you were odd but like <laughs> i was just a different type of oddness i go into myself a lot and people always talk about depression as being like the narrative around it needs to change because often the language can be that it can be quite a selfish thing it's the most selfless thing I've ever experienced because you spend most of your time trying to not let anyone else experience it so you get away from them and Bruce Springsteen wrote about that in his autobiography I remember reading it going he used to get on his bike and just go and his wife would be like where's he gone and he'd be like I don't want you to experience this too so in my case that was very much the case I didn't want other people because I couldn't I couldn't describe it and people often think that depression is pain but for me it wasn't it was nothing and that's the worst part it feels nothing you know you're trying to feel something pride pain it's just almost like it's numbness it's apathy exactly
1: complete detachment like that yeah and
0: and that's the hardest part so you're constantly that's the funny thing lads because you spent most I spent most of my life trying to achieve things thinking that achievement would be the thing that would make me feel something And I was constantly chasing that. And ultimately, when I went on the the, the journey of not just self-discovery, but my own kind of academia and understanding how minds and psychology work, I came to the conclusion that ultimately we are, you know, that if we are going to find a way to have any kind of relationship with ourselves... You need to start at the very foundation, and that's to find out how to have compassion for yourself. That, not in a kind of a fluffy, you know, care bears and unicorns way. Compassion is the fact to recognise that human beings are flawed, completely flawed. Not, not, not intentionally flawed, but just we all have flaws. We all have, we all have amazing virtues, but we all have flaws too. Compassion is bringing a little bit of kindness to the fact that you're flawed. And when things don't go so well for you, it's not because you're useless or there's something wrong with you or you're, you're dysfunctional or you're not good enough. It's generally completely out of your control and has nothing to do with you. And you learn that through, you've got to go through it though. That's the thing with, with mindfulness, for example, there's this talk of spiritual bypassing where you, you almost try to pretend all this stuff didn't happen or any traumas that you would have experienced. Let's just pretend it didn't happen. I'll just meditate my way out of it and I'll be grand you got to go through it. And it's not nice. And most of the time you need help. I did. Still do. You know, I've been in therapy for 10 years. You know, it's not cheap. But to me, therapy is the constant ability. If I had IBS, for example, I'd have to constantly watch what I eat. Constantly. With mental health, you have to constantly watch what you're around.
1: And what you're consuming.
0: And what you're consuming and your triggers. you gotta, you got to watch them. And you got to recognize that there will be days where you get hit or you get flawed. Like a pandemic... This is flatline people, like flatline them. And I keep saying to them, good, it should be. This is a pandemic. Your brain is doing its job and it's doing a wonderful job. Your brain is a survival tool. It's an alarm system. It is worried and it's keeping you alive and it's doing a wonderful job. So if you're anxious and if you're overwhelmed and you're distressed right now, good, you should be. But it ain't gonna last forever. And this isn't a lost year. This 12 months has built powerful resilience within people that you would never get in a book or you'll read and you know you listen to the podcast this resilience is lived experience and it's as powerful as it comes of our core emotions the vast majority of our core emotions are negative emotions since we were children we were told not to be sad not to be anxious not to be these things and i say to kids be those things experience them with curiosity explore them why do you feel that where in your body do you feel that anxiety so you don't demonize it these are really a valid important emotions you know i always had this saying that we sometimes we see more in the dark sometimes you learn more about yourself in difficult situations and i really believe that with kids emotion is such an important thing to teach them in all facets the good the bad and the ugly And nobody likes feeling anxious, nobody likes feeling sad, but it's part of life. The Buddhist psychology, it's the first noble truth, is that suffering is an inevitable part about being a human being. What a great opening line to Mm. Buddhism, you know. Would you not start with something a bit nicer? You're going to suffer. I'm like, brilliant, I want to be a Buddhist, you know. But isn't it really interesting that, for me, with my studies and mindfulness, the first thing that made me connected was, was Buddhist psychology, was understanding that humans... Our, our life isn't a straight line in fact most of our suffering comes from the fact that we believe that we shouldn't suffer
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and Agreed.
0: we try to hold on to perfect lives. so we are adverse to feeling negative feelings so we push them away and we repress them and we internalize them and we try to outdrink drink them or we out drug them or outwork work them or out train them you can't and that's what Buddhism taught me is like but you know what I can do I can feck and sit them down and be with them you know, some people would ask me for advice and books and things. I'd say, go read Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. You know, this is a doctor that went to Auschwitz, Jewish doctor. And he said, the only way I'm going to survive this is to recognize, is to see hope where hope doesn't exist, essentially. And he said, one of the powerful quotes, and now it's not word for word, but his entire work has changed my life. He said, you can take everything from a man, every single last freedom except that man's ability to choose his attitude to any given situation no matter how tough things can get, that is still a freedom we have. That's a really powerful thing to hear. So no matter how tough this pandemic is, you still have the ability to wake up on any given day and go, I'm choosing this attitude to bring to the day. That doesn't mean you have to be positive. That attitude might be, today I'm going to sit in my hole and do nothing. No, or I'm today gonna I'm going you know, to whinge <laughs> for two
1: hours <laughs> And then I'm going to have half hour And you're going to listen to me whinge for two hours And what are things that we could do You know with, with kind of choosing our attitude Like obviously Viktor Frankl's an exceptional situation He's in a Nazi concentration camp But each of us nowadays Like we're in You know it is a pandemic at the moment What are things that we can do To help predicate our own You know this whole
0: Yeah and I mean Starting point Let yourself suffer let yourself recognize that this is as tough as it gets for many people it's a perfect storm for many people there's economic fear you know there's a sense of purpose there is financial there is health your health your loved one's health there's a pandemic there's mental health there's all these different things that are floating around that are making us really overwhelmed and sometimes you just need to go out into the back garden and scream and not feel weird about it and that is the first thing i say to people if this is really hitting you hard i think allow yourself that space to feel it and to recognize that you know in the words of elton john i always say at least you're still standing you're still getting up and we are in survival mode here most of us and th- that's enough right now that's that is enough and i think that's the starting point the second point is we're hardwired in the world to in our brains, to put all our emphasis on the things that we don't have. That is where a lot of our energy goes. You know, comparison is the thief of joy, as they say, you know, and we're constantly comparing ourselves one. to other people's lives. I've been doing it for 12 months. I got up the other day, my dog isn't well, and decided to have a doggy shit fest in the kitchen, and it was everywhere. And it was Monday morning, it was wet. I was going, Oh God, I have to clean this up. And my mate lives in Alicante on the beach. And he was having a coffee and he put a picture up and I immediately Monday morning I was like oh my god I was like I was like and I I was straight straight into comparing and feeling shit and I was like well I'm I'm you know I'm forty years of age I'm living with my parents it's not exactly what I thought I'd be doing but who who else has this position that they can live with their parents at their age and actually connect with their parents in a way that you wouldn't have got otherwise so i immediately shifted my attention to what does exist for me and what what is in my life and not in a synthetic positivity way but in a real tangible way i thought right i've all these great things i'm an incredibly lucky person i've i've good relationships with the people i love which at the end of the day that is at the key of your emotional well-being no matter what you do or who you are your relationships and your connections to people and some people feel that they're in relationships But are you connected And connection is a Different thing Connection that, is just You know You know it Well, that was it.
1: a word That like Say Like my wife she, She's a clinical psychologist But she studied Gestalt psychotherapy and for the first number of years of our relationship, she'd go, Listen, I don't feel a connection. I go, like, What is this thing? Connections? What is it? I was never taught it. Like, I was like pulling my hair. Don't tell me that connection. Don't tell me. Steve would come to me and go, I did the bins. I cooked dinner. I, I folded all the clothes. I did the washing. Like, what else can I do? Like, (laughs) she's like, I don't feel connected. And and it's like, Steve, like, you know, and I think, I totally get that. I, I wasn't educated with this. I wasn't aware of this. So it's like, can you talk briefly, like in your experience of like having studied this now and having kind of, going through the journey, what does connection mean and how can we all feel more connected? Because we're living in a society that's extremely disconnected, loneliness is rampant.
0: I think, okay, so connection for me, right? So within, I went through a kind of period of schema therapy and schema therapy is an amazing form of therapy where you look towards your childhood and things that you would have picked up or learnt are not got as a child and that kind of generally comes into your adulthood. And in my case, I have amazing parents, have amazing family, but I had a horrific schooling system, like a really violent, rough, abusive schooling system where I never felt safe. So what did I do as a child? I, I disconnected to deal with that. Uh, I go into school for six or seven hours a day hoping you didn't get a slap or hit with a letter. Like that's the level it was at. And that's not, you know, people are going, was that 1942? No, it was 1990. It was brutal. And my school was known for it. So... That I've carried that through into my adulthood, and I, it, one of my one of the ways of dealing with that is emotional deprivation. So I disconnect from people because I'm terrified that I get too close to them, that they have the power, ability to do something to hurt me, and that's normal psychology. So f- my therapist said to me one day, he goes, "Now you cognitively understand this." So I said, "What do you mean? Because you, you you know what I'm saying, you understand it, but next step is you need to emotionally connect to this now." Mm-hmm. And I was—I didn't know what he meant. and then But <laughs> eight even the idea later, emotionally
1: was, connect with disconnecting. Like, how do you do that? That's like plus and minus.
0: You can't. You can't. No one's going to tell you how to do that. But I remember eight weeks into it, I'm just bursting into tears. And I, like, I was just sobbing at the idea of why would somebody do that to a child? Like, why would they beat a child up? And thinking about it, and I, was, I, I started to think, because I used to say, oh, it never traumatized me. It didn't traumatize me in a really... In a post-traumatic stress kind of way, it, it traumatized me because I I never understood why they did that, why they why why would you hit a child? Like I just so anyway, when I emotionally connected to it, I just I it it was a different thing. It literally everything stopped. An emotional connection for me with another individual requires two things: you need to understand the needs of that person are the needs of that person. You're you know you're talking about your wife. Your 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 wife has an immensely difficult exposing job where she has to deal with probably people's deepest issues on a daily basis and she has to hold them with care and then come home and maybe she might feel a bit drained and a bit rinsed from kind of giving so much of herself Mm -hmm. to somebody else even though that's her job and sometimes we assume as men especially that being connected is doing the bins is buying them something nice but i don't think that is what it is i think connection is is in silence it's in it's it's in something else and when you start connecting with people the whole world changes it's a different place you cannot connect with three thousand Facebook friends you can't you just, it's a ridiculous thought you can connect most of us have about six or seven deep connections in our life and the problem is because there's a war for our attention where there's a million other people pulling for your attention whether it's a phone an app your job everything else you've nothing left to give to the person that you should be connecting to which is might be the case with you when you' you know you when your wife your partner's like I'm I, I need that connection. It's because maybe we're so busy giving our connection to other people.
1: Yeah, amen, And that's
0: not connection to me. That is, that's not a facade, but doing what we do sometimes, we have to play that card that we're we're always this. Here's Brazzy, he's a mindfulness uh, therapist, so he must be always calm. I'm like, no, I lose my shit. And I'm okay with losing my shit. But the difference between being going on a mindfulness journey and losing my shit now I'm fully consciously aware I'm losing my shit. It's yeah, not just you're, a reaction. You're so if I'm being angry with you, you're a real bollocks because I've thought about how much of a bollocks you are and it's not just a reaction. So it's these perceptions that we have to create and we shouldn't be holding people to these impossibly high standards of being a human being, no matter who they are, no matter how level-headed they are successful they are, they're humans and you should not hold them on a pedestal, anyone. And that's the one thing I learned in the pandemic. My connection is... You know, I think celebrity has hopefully taken a bit of a backseat. We've stopped being so obsessed with people who are just people. My, honest to God, uh, like, I, I, there's a lady down in Sentra where I, uh, are down in the petrol station beside where I live. And I go down to get my dad a paper every morning because I won't let him go into the shop. And eight o'clock, I get the paper. Every day in this lockdown, she's been there every single day and I look and go no even at the height of it and I went that's who I value they're the people I value I value the people who stood up when we didn't know how serious this was and goes I'm going to work or I'm going to work in a hospital like for me we need to start valuing that a lot more than you know and no offence to Kim Kardashian she is just the icon of what celebrity is you know she went to a private island for her 40th whereas my shopkeeper served me a paper every single day and who am i going to value should i be putting ridiculous statuses on these people i'm sure they're grand people and they're fine and all power to them it's not about that it's about where you place your value in
1: life on that topic how do we address the fact that we're living in this social media world this world that has just over the last 30 40 years has just transformed our mental landscape and that comparison is so prevalent and yet when you see these people in their 80s and they've kind of they're they're at ease many of them are at ease and they're not comparing themselves yeah. you know it's no not agenda. it's not this need for perfection it's just this need for a perfect moment and how do we as a society move ourselves more towards that way
0: uh, i one of, one of the best books I ever read was a book called Tuesdays with Murray. oh love yeah you yeah, love yeah. it and I did a podcast Mitch Alburn, the, yeah, yeah exactly and did and you do
1: one with him no I wish I did oh I was thinking died didn't he Murray died Murray died but
0: I did a podcast at uh, Christmas for Where's My Mind and it was called The World Tour of Mullingar so the idea was we realized that a lot of these care homes and residential homes had seen nobody for six, or seven months. So we said, let's put band, a load of bands together on Christmas Eve. Let's go and play music in the car park. You know, all socially distanced, all covering the guidelines, and let's go and play some gigs for these uh, folks in the in the care homes and the the residential homes. Went all around. We did about eight or nine different residential homes. A little little like trailer being pulled around, and and the bands going up playing tunes. They were loving it. But one of the inter- I did I interviewed. All the residents in Newbrook, uh, resident home, Munangar, and I got to interview them at the window and you know, asked them for the podcast, you know, what matters? They're, they're all in their 90s or late like, 80s and 90s. What matters in life? What, what are the things you wish or you regret? Every one of them said the same thing. Every one of them, it was actually just shaking, thinking about it, it was family, family, family. The only regrets they had not enough time of family, not enough. Of Every one of them, like, like, chooses with Mari, they all said the same thing. If you want perspective in life, don't talk to, uh, you know, talk, don't talk to someone like that who's gone through and lived the life and felt it all. And I remember she said to me in the end, which I, one of the ladies, God help her, and I just found out, uh, she passed away from COVID. And she's on the podcast. And i thought, oh my God, this must be difficult for her family. It was just amazing to hear her say what she said. She just, so she just said, it's my family. It's my family. And that is, the stuff that woke me up because I genuinely do think we start getting very distracted in life of what matters and I still get distracted you know I still want to make a living I still want to buy nice things I still want to enjoy life and even the finer things and do you know go on a nice holiday everyone wants all that stuff but that's fleeting all that stuff is fleeting it comes and goes but connection and family and that stuff doesn't that's your sustainable route to happiness
1: it's it's very difficult though because I think on this a podcast a question like like we're 41 and we kind of we keep asking people so what is like what success to you and we've noticed a common theme amongst the people we've entered so far where they've gone well like it really is relationships it is connection it is family yet the allure of society like we're all so conditioned to, to to love the bright lights to want a little bit of notoriety we want money we want the allure of these things because it ultimately gives us a pat on the back so i think it's a constant like the challenges like I I know that exactly what you're saying, that it is the relationships, it's a relationship with myself. It's just very challenging because society is set up to exploit even, us in a different way. Sarah sent on, I remember you sent it on that TikTok video of that man. It had that the the Lion King song and he, he's opening his phone and going, I'm opening up social media, see who loves me, loves hey. me. And it's like that. We're looking for that quick, oh, someone loves me. Oh, they look really interesting. Oh my God, that's a beautiful picture. Oh my God, how exciting.
0: The problem is if that is all your life is there's your problem it's okay to have that it's okay to have those dreams and wishes and purpose and goals and all that stuff it's if you're just blinded by them if that is all you want to achieve that is all you're aiming for in life you're the i always say by chasing a life you're ultimately missing living one and that's the problem and that's what mindfulness does it's like it, it it's all happening right now everything is happening right now right in front of your eyes everything you need and we're missing it, completely missing it. And this is the reality is, you know, a lot of people within, you know, I work, work with a lot of psychologists will tell you there's a lot of people within therapy who do not know how to have a life outside the online world. They, they haven't. And my mate, Dr. Michael Caine, is a neuroscientist. He said, we have an old brain for a new world. Our brain is not designed for this. So all these things you're talking about, those instant gratifications, those validations, those likes... They are intoxicating to your brain. Your brain cannot refuse them. One of the biggest tech companies in America now is called the Dopamine Labs, and their job is to design products that make you addicted to them. Why do you think none of the social media CEOs' kids are on social media? Because we know that this stuff's addictive. But once again, it comes back to the same thing. It's boundaries. What are your boundaries here? Why aren't we teaching media literacy in schools? Why aren't we teaching digital literacy? Why don't we teach young people to consume this stuff and how to do it healthily? Because we don't, and, we're, and we saw how how difficult it was to change to make one decision in the education system, and the difficulty that young people were put through throughout all this year. Imagine trying to change the curriculum, or, or, or push the, leave. the leaving start For me, is a, is is it's it's done. It's not an accurate description of an individual's intelligence. It just isn't. And we need if we don't do it now, we'll never do it. And this war for our attention, we are not winning it, and we don't even know we're not winning it. And what mindfulness does For me And Rick Doblin said I interviewed him An amazing researcher On psychedelics Says that The modern world Is uh, Basically A race between Catastrophe and consciousness And he feels That catastrophe Is winning right now
1: Even A friend of mine Josh Barrington He teaches him He's the pastor and chaplain chaplain and also just super wise cool human he was fed up seeing research about the impact of mobile phone usage of teenagers in america and he decided let's do the study here in greystones just to see what happens at the local in my school and they did it, and they found out that students that, and I might be getting this wrong, you know, not perfect, but the, the, the gen, as a generalisation. Excuse me, Josh, but uh, seventy five. If they could, if students could use their phone five hours or less per day, they would be seventy five percent less likely to struggle with anxiety, panic attacks, and self harming. Wow, that, when five you look at
0: hours. My, uh, like some of the research we're seeing is pretty. You, you can't. Oh, I and can mean, I finish can can with one, other, yeah, one other
1: striking thing that he said? He said, like, that he did a conference, or did it to all this, the the parents, and uh, a common question that kept coming, at what age should I give my my, my my kid a phone? And he said, at whatever age you're comfortable with your kid sitting alone watching porn. Yeah, wow. And suddenly it was like, yeah. Boom, yeah. There was, I've got one thing and another wow. question. Another friend, uh, I was walking with him last week, and he, he had a very interesting suggestion and I'd never heard this before. He said, Well, why don't we just make, like, alcohol's 18, you have to be 18 to drink alcohol. Why don't we make social media 18? And I thought, I've never heard, I thought that was, well, I'm not suggesting it now, but I thought it was a very interesting means because your mind, you're allowing a young mind to form without all these triggers, which don't. But, but I just wanted to bring it back to, to making things very practical. So you've gone through your own journey of mental health and you've 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 uncovered and you've unraveled and you've discovered you've found loads of nuggets and you're you're picking up breadcrumbs all the way for someone who's listening now that is anxious is a normal flawed human what are some of the lifestyle habits that you've learned that have really been the anchor the pillars the cornerstone of your mental health and resilience
0: yeah i mean it's a really good question and just to quickly say on um, the reason often these researches don't happen is you have to understand who profits from this stuff you you're up against the more powerful organizations than most gdps of most countries you, you're you, you're 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 up against it here and it's the same at big food you know this big food is probably the most powerful lobby in america you know, and then you pharma, and then you've technology. You're, you you ain't winning those wars. The only way to win those wars is education. That is the weapon of choice. If we can teach people to understand and navigate this stuff and take personal responsibility for their own heads, th- then we're getting somewhere. But anyway, back to what can we do? What what can I do? And I mean, I'm not speaking here from some feckin' guy who's got it all figured out, you know, and I never, ever speak from a place of hierarchy when it comes to this. I speak with people about my own head, Um, And things that I've done, the first thing I've done is I've learned to stop judging people. That has taken out a massive lump of anger and hate out of my
1: life. How do you stop judging people? Because it's something so hard.
0: Because you don't know what any individual is carrying at any given moment, what they're dealing with, what they've gone through, what they're carrying. I mean, you can judge them. If someone's been an arsehole and they're being intentionally arsehole-y, I always say... Not everyone's intention is to hurt you. Look past your behaviors and words. Maybe they were hurt too. And that's the difference. And that's a non-judgment. That's a, a Buddhist philosophy of, of non-judgment. So what I do is I've started to replace anger with empathy. To go, if somebody speaks that way about me, what is happening in their life that they have to speak like that? What is, has what is inherently gone wrong for them? And not all the time that's true, but it preserves my mental health. Mm. And it, it preserves... A, a prime example, and this is a slightly different... Uh, usually examples are good. I was in Dublin a couple of two years ago and I was coming around there by um, top of Harcourt Street my, where, where the studio was in the car and this guy pulled out on the bike and uh, I nearly hit him and I just instinctively beat my horn and he start I mean started to foam at the mouth and tell me to pull in the car and he was shaking and I was like Whoa, whoa and he said, Pull down your window and he threw his bike at the side of the road. So I pulled down the window and he goes he goes, you were speeding, and I, I just said, if I was speeding, you'd be dead. I was able to avoid you, and it wasn't. I wasn't trying to get angry with him. I was being very calm, and he kept getting angrier and angrier. And I could see this guy had lost control now, and this had nothing to do with what just happened there. Something had happened in his day. There's no doubt about it. And this is emotional intelligence. He's going, there's something's happened to that lad. So out of nowhere, I just went, I'm really sorry if I scared you. And in that moment, he just diffused. He went, I am so sorry for getting angry. And that is the ability to take a moment, take a pause let's connect, let the, That's yeah, connection. It is, but it's also let the ego out of the way. get the ego out of the way it's not about being right or wrong and stop for a second, and this is what mindfulness does it gives you that pause to go I'm really sorry, I scared you. he picked up his bike he went I'm I ridiculous, lost control. I said, "Don't worry about it man I hope you're okay." off he went, probably a bit embarrassed, but okay, I went about my day not affected whatsoever, if the two of us went at each other and did what most angry men do when the ego gets in the way and start screaming at each other and maybe punching the head off each other he might be a Mountjoy or and an, or dead or i could have been this guy could have been a bloody kung fu master i would not have known but it's the ability to diffuse the ego and go like i don't know what this guy has dealt with and that's the difference we are immensely quick at judging other people and in, even quicker at judging ourselves off the highlight reels of other people's instagram pages so judgment is just flying around everywhere and you know, especially at the moment, I look at I look online, and it's 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 a cesspit. It's toxic, oh, it's and scary. it's just judgment. Another thing to do is every morning wake up, think of five things you have in your life that you're thankful for, and just wake up every morning thinking of that, and get into that habit, and build that habit in your brain. And do you, build you write it. them down? Like, did no. you,
1: if someone was starting this habit, like, would would you suggest that it's great to take out a pen and paper and every morning I actually? they won't no. do it you see so it's okay. just the thing it's like you've got to make this accessible
0: and easy some people like journaling I love journaling but if you say to everyone every morning for the rest of your life you need to write down five things or time for them, they're going to go fuck that they're going to wake up on a Sunday morning with a hangover going oh, fuck that brazi
1: bullshit I'm not doing that one, one thing we've started doing as a family is every night when we're going to bed just before we brush our teeth we're all there as a family um, Justina she'll say a prayer in Polish we all say a prayer in Polish and then we all have to say five things we're grateful for even Ned the four year old T 7 and it's and it's amazing how you get to see what the kids value.
0: But that's science. Like do you look at the science or the neuroscience of positive psychology and what happens in the brain when we start saying things that we're thankful for and actually put our energy on that. And that's what's really interesting about this area. You, you know, if you build that that's a habit, if you can build that habit from a neuroplasticity point of view and you can actually create these habits that we generally have as humans are especially Irish people. We were colonialized, we went straight from colonialisation into Catholicism. We have never had our own ethics or morals. We were always told how to be and how to feel. So of course we're confused. And now we're starting to figure out our own morals and what we stand for. And we're seeing a new Ireland where we're becoming more liberal and open-minded. And that's because we've been allowed to make our own minds up about life. And and th- these are the things I'm starting to realise is that an awful lot of the problems you see in Ireland when it comes to mental health are generational. And they've been bet into us since your dad and my dad and our granddads and them before. Uh, we shouldn't be passing on that baton anymore we can't keep passing that baton on to our kids and going don't be angry don't be scared don't be all these things go actually if you're in sh- if you're having a shit day i tell me about it i'll hold you in your pain i am not uncomfortable with your pain and here's the other thing i'll say around that one of the most common phrases in irish funeral is i'm grand you're going up to the guy who just lost his dad i'm like you're not grand you're in bits. And I'm okay with you being in bits. I'm okay with you expressing it. I'm okay with you crying in front of me. It doesn't make me uncomfortable. But what happens with pain in this world is we force people to internalize their pain because we make them feel uncomfortable about it. I'm like, no, you're human. Of course, you're, you're in agony here. Your dad's dead. Your dad's died. The guy who brought you up has died. You're in agony. Don't worry about it. And these are the things you start to learn that make your life a bit easier. When you just let that guard down, you yeah. diffuse the ego
1: very good and then moving on to music therapy because this is one that like you're a great musician and someone that loves music for music but you also love music for its ability to help mental health and to bring that presence and i'd love to hear yeah well there's an amazing
0: growing movement in mental health and not just mental health but cognitive issues like dementia and you know alzheimer's and these horrible horrible diseases that we see in so many people Uh, there's a master's in music therapy now in ul that is you know training out some of the most incredible people actually the blizzards keyboard player lynchie he's he's not in the band anymore because he went full-time as a music therapist he did the masters and the difference that it does to people's brains and what it can do you know some of the research around music therapy is just undeniable but also sometimes you just don't need the research sometimes you just need to see those videos of a 95-year-old woman who's severe Alzheimer's, who doesn't know who her kids are or her, anything about it, and then the song gets played that she knew when she was 12 and she gets up and dances to it and sings the words. Like, if that doesn't tell you something in there with music and the brain, I don't know what will. And in my example, how I started to use music was, like, obviously, playing and learning an instrument is incredibly mindful because you have to really concentrate on what you're doing. Uh, I play piano, drums, guitar, sing... Because I just love instruments. But consuming music is a different thing. So why do people get so much solace out of consuming music? Number one, it's an amazing way to communicate emotion. For people to understand. But what I used to do was an album called Tom Waits' Closing Time. Which is one of my favourite records of all time. I've tattooed it all over my arm. Which is that weird thing. And my mom said, if I ever see Tom Waits, I'm going to show him that tattoo. She goes, I wouldn't. You know, it's that kind of weird Alan Partridge thing. But um, basically... When I was living in London, I had severe insomnia and weeks of not sleeping. And I had, it was just, it was a difficult, most difficult time of my life. Um, And I used to lie in bed and just grasp and gasp for air. And I was living in London, this pretty horrible place. And I used to close my eyes and I put on Tom White's. And I'd listen to that album. And when I'd listen to it, I'd actually feel like I'm in some bar in New York. And he's sitting on some shit piano behind me having a fag and a whiskey and he's playing these songs and I'm just sitting at the bar. And what happened was it immediately removed me from where I was, which wasn't a pleasant place. And I became completely in some other, other place. It transformed me there. And I would always be asleep by Grapefruit Moon, which I think the 10th song in the album. And, <laughs> and I started brilliant. falling asleep to this. And I said this to my doctor, he went, yeah, you know, basically even frequencies of different frequencies of music, of different instruments, what they do to the brain. And everybody knows this anyone who's having a tough day sometimes just goes and listens to some music I just put on music and just gets lost in it but what I would say to people if you really want to bring music therapy to a level that works for you the next time you're listening to a song in your headphones of your favourite artist or band whoever it might be close your eyes and pretend you're in the room pretend you are literally there in that studio and that person's behind the mic because music has become completely it's, it's just, just become background. disposable now yeah. it's just it out and I'm like, to make music, to record music, I own a recording studio, I know the process, it's a huge process, and we need to stop to make, so I always close my eyes, and I listen to the artist, and every aspect of that song at the moment, Driver's License, that number one song, if you close your eyes, and you can hear the creaks in the piano, you can hear feet moving on the floor, and all of a sudden, you're becoming immensely mindful to that song, and you're actually in the space, and that's meditation, you're anchoring your attention in something, it doesn't have to be your breath or your body, and that's why I'm using mindfulness and music as the most effective treatment because most people I work with and mindfulness and meditation really struggle with their breath or with, you know, slowing their thoughts down. And they go, I've tried it, I can't do it. So I always say, what's your favorite album or your favorite song? And they go, oh, whatever. I went, I want you now to listen to that song as if they're right in front of you. And I want you every detailed breath. And then what I did is I got started getting the songs and removing all the music. So it's just the vocal and you can hear the breath and you can hear the every aspect of the voice and then you can see people within 10 minutes and they're completely and utterly in a beautiful meditative state because they're anchoring their attention on something that isn't their, their dynamic thoughts or their overwhelm and I will say that to anybody listening to this try that and another great way to do it with music therapy a brilliant thing where you can combine nature music therapy and mindfulness pick your favourite album or your favourite song put on your headphones go out for a walk and I want you to do this is called mind filtering I want you to only look for the things, only look for love in your surroundings. It could be a guy walking his dog. It could be a bird. It could be nature. It could be whatever. Just filter in the stuff that makes you feel good. Literally everything else and look for it. Like even if you look at like a mother walking their kid, whatever it is, the sea, and listen to your favorite song and it's just like an explosion in your brain. You just feel you know, it takes you away from those overwhelms. So I, I i combine in the work I do with mindfulness all the things I love, which is music, nature, exercise, and I make it work for people, rather than saying, Oh, I can't meditate, I get overwhelmed with it. I like cool, let's find a way you can do it. Another one I'll give you an example of is I have another friend of mine, God help him, he's he's had a tough time with business and he he lost his dad and he, he goes, I, I, I want to get into meditation. I was like, well, you shouldn't because you're grieving and you should just grieve and let yourself go through the process and I'll get you help, but then we'll talk about it. He sat down and he goes, I can't. My head is racing. I think about bills. I think about, I went, right. And he goes, I can't sleep. The only other thing I know about him is he loves golf. He's obsessed with golf. So I get him to play a round of golf and I said, Play the round of golf you want around Mullingar, or wherever you play. I want you to take shot for shot. And he goes, every time he plays a round of golf, he falls asleep because he just visualizes it and now all of a sudden his, his attention is anchored in this something he enjoys it's not anchored in the bills he can't pay or the other stuff
1: I think that's a lovely w- phrase to describe mindfulness and meditation because it's often seen as this eastern thing that there's kind of only one way to do it whereas I I, I like the fact that you're calling it something to anchor your attention Not it is and yeah. the
0: thing is even the eastern Buddhism philosophies there's Buddhist philosoph- philosophies that will tell you mindfulness is not about present moment focus It's about just getting, you know, a lot of, there's obviously there's many different guys and forms of Buddhism and different teachers. But ultimately what you're trying to do is make it work for you. Stop reading books to tell you this is what you should do. There's six principles of practice for mindfulness. And if you can apply these principles of practice, you will be able to build it into your life. The first principle is non-judgment. When you sit to meditate, don't go, I'm terrible at this, I'm shit at this, I shouldn't do this, my head always races. There's enough judgment in your life this five to ten minutes, see what it feels like to let go of that judgment. Second is non-striving. You're not trying to achieve anything here. You're not, you're not trying to qualify for the Olympic Games of meditation. You're not trying to, and that's the problem, is the modern world, the Western world, only rewards doing, 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 doing. So we all go, I need to be brilliant at this. You do in your arse. Or a
1: common thing is, how long do you meditate Exactly. Because immediately it's kind of, kind of, are you ahead or behind me? You I, know am I
0: better it. at meditating? This is for nobody except you. So non-striving, let go of the need to be good at this. This is just, 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 just experience it. The third is called, and excuse my language here, the fuck it bucket. So uh, everyone needs to buy a fuck it bucket. And they need to put things in that bucket when they're meditating. So when you sit to meditate and you go, okay, I'm sitting down here now and oh god I forgot to ring Mary oh god Mary's going to be raging oh she already thinks I hate her oh it's going to be so awkward when I see her next Will I get a pizza later on I'm eating so much crap Will I go to the gym now you're down a rabbit hole and you're anxious so what I say to what you're doing with meditation is the minute you realise you forgot to ring Mary (coughs) chuck it in that fucker bucket just move on and come back to the breath and if you have to do that this is not about stopping thoughts it's about stop following them down the rabbit hole and what happens when you go down the rabbit hole you get anxious you get stressed You get pulled from the present moment. It will happen a hundred times in five minutes. But every time it happens, just come back. Put it in the bucket. Come back. And that is mindfulness. That is exactly what it is. It's aware that your mind is drifting. Bring it back. Your fourth is beginner's mind. Be curious to your experience. This is weird. It's kind of nice. Kind of like, i never felt this before. I'm really anxious. Where do I feel that anxiety? It's actually my chest. Isn't that funny? Be really playful with it. Don't be so serious with it. Your fifth is be fucking compassionate yourself who else takes this time to take care of themselves and actually sit in with their mind it's not easy to do this stuff to sit in we don't like silence we don't like looking inwards because we've been conditioned not to do that and it's not your fault that you find it difficult it's just the world that we live in and now you're taking a bit of time to think about yourself and, and, and and be compassionate about that and the final one is acceptance just accept how you feel don't wait till you're calm before you sit to meditate sit with the good the bad and the ugly everything everything and you know what you have the ability to sit with that stuff and sometimes you need a bit of help that's what i do as a mindfulness therapist sometimes people have things that come up that are difficult for them and you teach them how to sit with those things and disempower them and stop them controlling your life because because that's the thing these these uncomfortable feelings that we have dictate too much of our life and stop us living and all i'm trying to do is is not get rid of them but stop letting them dictate your life. And actually you know, cause there's so much in this world that is just incredible. There's so much amazing things in this world that we're missing. Because we think there's something bigger or better.
1: I think one thing to bring it back to is is just to food. Because food is something I guess that's so dear to our life and so important. And you're someone that's done triathlons, has been a professional athlete. Like, what's your relationship to food? And for anyone listening, how do you see the connection? There's the Smiles research now coming out in New Zealand, where they're kind of connecting the importance of eating fibre-rich foods and more plant slant towards your your diet to to and its benefit of mental health. And we've seen it through our Happy Good course. What's your relationship with this? And your yeah, and you can't
0: this? you can't deny the research now and the research between the gut and the brain and the connection there. I think it's important that we don't oversell that connection because we sometimes by selling that connection too much you're offsetting the fact that somebody might have been traumatized and have huge issues that they need to deal with there is just there, keep eating more broccoli yeah, be grand. More broccoli. you know <laughs> this idea sometimes we simplify mental health uh, and also what we do with mental health is we talk about mental health but we don't talk about some maybe serious psychiatric issues like schizophrenia and uh, bipolar and these are issues that with uh, lust for life we've seen have dealt with so food is crucial it is i keep getting but but having a really great relationship with food is is so important and food is also an area that can is is we know through areas with the prevalent growing prevalence of eating disorders um but these are other issues in. if you look at food on its own i look at food that first and foremost is there to be enjoyed that's the first thing i look at that's my relationship with food i enjoy it secondly it's fuel um so over the years of training i remember when i was playing rugby the hardest part about food is I didn't enjoy it because I had to eat so much of it to get the calories in, like five, six thousand calories a day. It was like, oh my God. I used to have a plate for like potatoes, veg, and and, and protein, and it was just like different plates. I was like, God, oh, it was a workout to eat. Now I'm doing kind of marathon endurance stuff. Uh, I have a different relationship with food, and what I've done is for my own personal life, the two biggest issues I have with food are that for me personally is sugar and processed food. They're the two things that if I if I if I play if if I if I get sucked in by their uh magnetising hands sometimes immediately comes up in my, my, my mood, my skin, everything. It's I, I've become really weird with food and like what I have done is I've definitely moved to far far more plant based stuff. I did veganism actually for two months. Um not last not this uh, Christmas or not last January but the January before that and what I found with me was that it was my digestion was like I used to get really bad stomach, bo- stomach pains or, or bloating and stuff like that and it did you know completely change that but then I got so stressed looking for vegan food because it was so so impossible to find it and I felt that the, any stress I might be distressing myself with, I was actually put on top of it because I was living away from home but these are all excuses and you will make every excuse under the sun but I do think with food we, we have to have we're working with on Marathon Mind now for the podcast, Sharon Madigan, an amazing dietitian, and I adore her philosophy for food. It's just like it is there to be enjoyed and it's there to be consumed. But also recognizing that it's subjective, some individuals really struggle. Like for example, Marathon training, if you eat too much fiber, it's tough to run. You can't run with that much fiber. And so I'm I'm eating for performance right now. And it's a different kettle of fish. But overall, food is and mental health, I think generally what happens when you get stressed and overwhelmed? You do the very opposite of what you should do. You you eat a lot of crap food. You might drink a lot. You might become quite apathetic. And if you're stressed and overwhelmed, as best you can, dig deep and find a way to be ultra kind to your body. That's when you need to be really kind to your body. Because if you can really help your body at that point, your body will help your mind. Your body will stand up and go, I met you bud, let's figure this shit out. So instead of going, I'm going to drink, you know, I'm gonna eat like two cartons of Skittles, and I because I deserve them. When you're stressed, be kinder to yourself. It starts with food, it starts with exercise, it starts with allowing yourself to sleep, all the basics. But food for me is such an essential part because when I get overwhelmed or stressed, food is my trigger. I'll go straight for crap food, and I, my mindfulness, self awareness will go. No, I know what you're doing. Let's keep it not. Let's keep it like just foods that you like and eat, and you, there's no need to go to, go to the dog in this. But I think food is such an area of my mental health that is just as i always say i'm not an expert in food or dietitian but i've seen i've read all the researches in the gut health and we can't ignore it now and we have to take it seriously so i think from when it comes to mental health and our mental well-being it is a holistic jigsaw approach many different things put together and ultimately that's what will lead to all, all around health physical and mental
1: brilliant Jeez, you're brilliant. Great conversation. Thanks for million. really and, enjoyed and, it, guys. And you've, you've got some cool school. You've got some cool kids book. I remember seeing you in the book awards one year. Can you tell us about your, just, just a few little bits that you're working on or that you'd yeah, like to mention?
0: I've, yeah, I have the kids books. I put out kids books. We're actually making it f- uh, freely available now as an e-book because a lot of parents, What's it called? Parents, uh, Magic Moment, the Magic okay. Moment. I have Take 5 and then uh, the other one's called The Chill Skill. The Take is going to be made available for free. We're aware some parents need to ha- are trying to support the kids, but even to buy a book at this point can be difficult for parents, so it's going to be completely free on the eBooks. I also have a kids' podcast called Niall Brazen's Mindful Moments for Kids. It's on every podcast platform. And, of course, my podcast is Where's My Mind and uh, Wake Up Pine Down," which is twice daily. And they're just simple, easy ways Lizzie, to get you into man, meditation. Busy, man. Brezzy. Woo. Well done. What else would I be doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'll, be, I'll be partying in Greystones now. I won't have time Stripping. to do all this. Partying so. on the beach. Yeah, partying on the beach at 6 a.m. <laughs> Sunrise. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks, man. That mate. was great.
1: Brezzy. Cheers, lads. Thanks so much for listening to that. I hope you got as much out of it as we did. Please let us know on social what you enjoyed, what you did and any future guests you'd like us to have on the show. Tag us on Instagram stories. That's probably the easiest way and we'd love to get your feedback on what you think. Uh, And as we say, massive shout out to Super Value. They're fabulous to work with, fabulous to deal with and they're our partners in this podcast. Yeah, so tune back in for future episodes. Thanks Anil. Cheers. Cheers.